Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and happy Monday to you. This is the Athletic Baseball Show. Thanks for joining us for the beginning of another great week as we turn the calendar to May. Tim McMaster here, along with Ken Rosenthal. Every Monday, it is the mailbag episode. We are taking your questions and answering them. Well, Ken's answering most of them. I'm here to guide the ship. Ken, how are you doing this week? Doing well, Tim, and you do more than guide the ship. You're also contributing in a major way, so let's not hear any of that stuff. All right. Well, it's been another fun week in baseball. We had our first no-hitter of the season on Friday night. It took five Mets pitchers to do it. Um, they combined on the no-no, the second ever for the Mets. I remember there were so many years where it was the Mets and the Padres, Mets and the Padres, don't have any no-hitters. And now suddenly the Mets have two of them. He had Johan Santana, of course, um, broke that ceiling back in 2012. But I mentioned the calendar changing. We are in May now, so we have a month. The sample size is growing a little bit here in baseball. There are some red-hot teams across Major League Baseball. Um, I thought we'd give you a chance, just kind of weigh in on what you're seeing here through a month. Well, my overriding theme here, Tim, is that it's still too early. And remember, the season started April 7th, and it's very dangerous to form any assessments just yet. And that goes for the ball as well. We've been talking a lot about the ball. I wrote a lot, a lot about the ball last week. There is a good chance that things will get better with the ball as the weather improves. The humidor in all 30 parks, that's going to have perhaps a reverse effect at that point. Right now, it seems to be depressing offense, adding moisture to the ball. Once the weather gets warmer and the humidity rises, it will have, as I said, perhaps what they plan on is the opposite effect when it removes moisture from the ball. And again, looking for uniformity, and then the ball becomes drier and flies a little bit further. That's one thing that we can't fully assess yet. But yes, I'm looking at a few teams here, and there have been some streaky teams of late. And I'm wondering, okay, are these legitimate streaks? Well, of course they're legitimate. You want to bank wins however you can. But who are those wins coming against? And it's always revealing, and it's always just kind of important to know what exactly is going on. So the Yankees... All of this goes into Sunday, the day we're taping. They've won eight straight going into Sunday against Cleveland, Baltimore, and Kansas City, three of the weaker clubs in the American League. The Milwaukee Brewers on an 11-2 run. Impressive, and especially after their sluggish start, well, six of those wins are against Pittsburgh. San Diego, 8-2 run, six of those wins against Cincinnati. The Twins, 8-2 run going into Sunday as well. One against Kansas City, three against the White Sox, three against Detroit. But, and it looks like as of right now, if they hold the 6-0 lead, this run is going to be capped with two of three 
against Tampa Bay, which would be more impressive. So the message I'm trying to send here is the fans of those teams, just be realistic about what's going on. And the other thing that's kind of bugging me here is that we're still seeing in the sport, and to some extent it's always going to be like this because you're not going to have 30 teams strong, but teams like Baltimore, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, those are the three obvious ones right now. Division races are essentially decided on how their opponents in the division, how often they can beat up on these teams. Can you go 18-1 and one against the Orioles, whatever the case might be? Now, the Orioles are playing the Red Sox tough this weekend, and they've been a competitive club for the most part, but they're still one of the bottom teams in the league. Cincinnati's been brutal. Pittsburgh, not much better. So a lot of this still is contingent on who you're playing and that kind of thing, and Ultimately, I would still like to see, it's not going to happen in the next five years during the CBA, but I'd like to see something that forces teams to be more competitive and not embark on the lengthy, lengthy rebuilding programs that some of these clubs have. One other team I want to mention is the Angels. And if you recall in March, I wrote a column about the Angels kind of saying, I like them, but I don't trust them. And I don't know how you can feel anything but that going into a season. Well, they go into Sunday. They've won six straight. Again, strength of schedule. One of those was against the Orioles, four against the Guardians, one against the White Sox, all struggling teams right now, including the White Sox. But they look better. And clearly when you have the emergence of a player like Taylor Ward that is so unexpected, that's going to help things. But they've got superstars on this team. We know that. Trout, Otani, Rendon. They have this year a little bit better pitching a little bit more depth, better bullpen. So they look kind of intriguing right now, and we'll see how it all plays out. And also, before we get into the questions on the mailbag, keep in mind, too, it's always entertaining to look at the leaders and trailers in OPS at any point of the season, but especially now when some things are still getting sorted out. So going into Sunday, the worst five hitters, according to OPS, that's a measure that people use it's not ops plus it's not weighted runs created plus it's pretty basic i know but the last five guys the bottom five the worst was whit merrifield a guy who's been a hit machine for most of his career framo reyes jonathan scope okay they're off the slow starts joey Votto, fourth lowest ops in baseball going into sunday marcus Semyon, the 175 million dollar man sixth lowest ops on the other side of this and this is Something that is so intriguing to me, and it kind of tickles me, actually. The fifth and sixth best OPSs belong to Anthony Rizzo, who is and ha always has been a good player, but I don't know about a top five OPS guy. And number six is the man who was in every trade rumor imaginable this offseason, Eric Hosmer. Two first basemen, five and six, Rizzo and Hosmer. Right behind those two are two, I would call skinny middle infielders. That would be... J.P. Crawford of the Mariners, and Jazz Chisholm of the Marlins. So it's really interesting to see just how all this plays out. And by the way, I forgot to mention the Marlins. And they were kind of the subject or the idea that I wanted really to get to when talking about hot teams. They've been a hot team. Seven straight going into Sunday. And they've done it against pretty impressive competition. The Braves... And the Nationals, okay, not so impressive, but also the Mariners. So the Marlins are a team that we always think is going to be competitive because of the quality of their starting pitching. 
And now Luzardo has joined that group. Pablo Lopez, league leader in ERA. Alcantara's an ace. Trevor Rogers. They're, they're an interesting club. And I don't know where it's going for them. They've got a little bit better offense this year with Soler, with Joey Wendell. Stallings is not really an offensive player, but he's a good addition. Their bullpen, I don't know how they're doing it because the guys they have aren't really big names, but they're doing it. So they're sort of a team to watch in a division with three teams we know are really strong already. The Braves, the Phillies, the Mets. Can the Marlins be right there with them? I don't know that, but... I have been impressed and intrigued by the Marlins really all season. So that's it, Tim. Those are my early thoughts on April. Somewhat disjointed, not necessarily coherent, but here we go. That's what podcasting's all about. Good stuff, Ken. Uh, let's move on to the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved next week, you can call us at 646-543-7072 or use the email tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Let's get right into it, starting with the email. And you mentioned the Mets. We'll start with the Mets. And this is slightly dated, but it, it moves forward, I think. Of course, there was the Mets and Cardinals uh, brouhaha over the hits batters and all of that. This one from Chris. He says, my question is regarding to hit batters. I just watched the benches clearing brawl between the Cardinals and Mets, and it made me wonder if MLB has considered any stiffer punishment for hitting a batter instead of just taking a base. I started thinking about how it would look if a hit-by-pitch was an automatic ground rule double with an automatic ejection for anything above the shoulders, whether it is intentional or not. Do you think a rule change like that would curtail some of the intentional hits as well as possibly increasing offense since pitchers might be more reluctant to pitch inside. Would love to hear your thoughts. I actually wrote about this last week in one of the columns or stories I did about the ball. And I mentioned that in Korea, there is a rule, automatic ejection for a fastball, only a fastball that lands above the shoulder in the head or the neck. Automatic ejection, head or neck. And that concept actually was proposed by the league in the recent collective bargaining negotiations with the union and the union said no they wanted no part of it they don't want strict liability for pitches that might hit someone in the neck or head but were actually thrown without intent now you can see why the league would have proposed that it's really the idea that you're suggesting that if you're going up and in like that you better be able to control it or you get ejected but Again, the union did not go for it. I don't expect this conversation to really surface again in the future. There was one other interesting part of this whole discussion. It really didn't get much beyond the discussion stage from what I understand. But that was something called a hit-by-pitch point system in which you get a certain amount of points for each area you hit. The most points against you that would count against you would be up around the neck or head. And then if you get hit with, say, a back foot slider, that's one point versus four points for getting hit in the head. And then it's accumulation. You get to five, 10 points, say, and you're suspended, something like that. Well, that would never fly. It was interesting. Again, it was not proposed, but it's kind of been floated around informally. So you can see the league is thinking about these things. But automatic ejections when there's no intent, that's going to be a difficult sell for the union. And I can understand why. I think most fans can understand why. Sometimes there are simply pitches that do get away. It's not always intent. 
The accumulation thing um, reminds me of some other sports. The NBA, I think if you get 15 technical fouls, you get suspended. And then, of course, soccer, if you get two yellow cards, right. it equals a red and you get suspended. So so that's interesting. That makes more sense to me than uh, a one-and-done type policy. Next question comes from Quentin. says, Hi, Ken and Tim. Love the podcast. Just wanted to get your thoughts on what will happen with the Xander Bogart situation as he gets closer to his opt-out option. If he opts out and the Red Sox don't make an offer, they won't get any compensation. How possible is it that they will trade him by the deadline to restock the farm a bit and maybe use that money to extend Devers as Story could move over to shortstop? Quentin, if they don't start playing better, I guess anything is possible. Their poor play has been one of the stories of April, too. Poor offense in particular. They went into Sunday 24th in the league in runs per game. 24th, ahead of some pretty bad teams only. So Bogarts has not really been the problem at all. He leads them in OPS. He's 17th in the majors going into Sunday. But the question you raise would really only be relevant, in my opinion, if they're out of it. Now, that's going to be difficult to be because, of course, with the expanded playoffs, every team will have a greater chance. We've seen trades on occasion, contenders helping contenders and vice versa, but those are difficult to pull off. And keep in mind, too, it's not firmly decided yet that they will not get compensation if he does depart. This all hinges on an agreement between the league and union by July 25th on an international draft. If they get an agreement, the qualifying offer system is abolished. If there is no agreement, the qualifying offer system remains intact, and so does the current international system. So what does that mean for Bogarts? If there is no agreement, there's still a qualifying offer system, he would get slapped by the Red Sox with a QO. And that has a potential drag on his market, but it also, from the Red Sox perspective, ensures that they will get some form of compensation and that form would be a draft pick. Now, it doesn't always prove to be that way. We had a freakish situation with Michael Conforto this year where Michael Conforto injures his shoulder in the offseason. The Mets had given him a qualifying offer, but they're not going to get a pick because he's still unsigned. So that's kind of how I see it evolving. I want to see more of the season, but I would be really surprised if it got so dire for the Red Sox that they would entertain trading Xander Bogarts. I will say this. They need to make him a better offer than the one they did, according to John Heyman of the New York Post. He's got three years, $60 million left. According to John, they offered an additional year at around $30 million. That is not close to sufficient. Especially for a guy who's basically the captain of your team, uh, for sure. All right, up next, uh, we have a voicemail. Howdy, Ken and Tim. This is Spencer Collin from Central Oregon, a weekly listener, and, and fingers crossed on Portland uh, getting one of the bids on the MLB expansion teams and franchises. Well, my question is about bullpen construction and with the new emphasis and value on relievers that coincides with their dominance along with the downfall of starting pitching. Do you see a front office change on constructing bullpens uh, specifically? It feels like contending teams that are on the rise put their bullpen together last. It's the, it's the last thing that teams seem to focus on and try to go about getting. And I'm curious if teams are going to start emphasizing bullpen before they emphasize other parts of their team as it's kind of the, the last piece to come together if that's ever going to change. Spencer, I don't know that I agree with that premise. 
teams do emphasize bullpens, and we often see in free agency teams jump on the bigger relievers early. And there's no doubt that in this day and age, given the rise and prominence of bullpens, that teams for sure are looking at them and saying, okay, we've got to address this. We've got to make sure our bullpen is strong, contending teams especially, just like you mentioned. Now, one interesting thing that is going to come up sort of starting this week, but really starting May 30th. This week, actually today, if you're listening, it's Monday, the maximum number of pitchers on a staff will be reduced to 14. This is the first time we've had a maximum number of pitchers. And it was supposed to be 13, but they basically extended it to 14 for this month because, again, the effects of the shortened spring training, they don't want teams to get caught. But starting on May 30th, that number reduces to 13. 13 pitchers on a staff, that's it. That is going to have a pronounced effect on the game. And we discussed this on the Phillies-Mets broadcast on FS1 last night. What that does forces you to use relievers more frequently, perhaps forces them to throw less hard, perhaps increases the need for starting pitchers to go deeper into games, you still got the ability to option relievers in and out, though there is now a maximum number of options as well in a given season. So this too, this rule, will change things. Now, if they go, say, to 12 in the future, that changes things even more, and it becomes even more problematic, and all of this could have a result of impacting offense in a positive way because you're not going to be seeing, like you're seeing now, one reliever per series, that's it. You're hardly seeing back-to-backs right now, not with 14, 15, 16-man staffs. Only with the best relievers, you've seen them multiple times in a series, and everyone's fresh. No. When you go to 13 pitchers especially, I don't know about 14, but 13, we're starting to get into an area where teams are going to be strapped a little bit more than they've been in the past. And we'll see how that plays out. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Michael from Ontario, Canada is next. He says, I know analytics do not favor base stealing. However, I have often wondered what the effect of a good or great base stealer has on pitches the batter gets. I know Ricky Henderson is the greatest base stealer of all time, but I'm very confident the Bash brothers got a few extra good pitches because pitchers were worried about Ricky. With that being said, do you know of any articles or people that have looked into this. It just seems like base stealing should be more valued. As a fan, there is nothing better than watching a runner on first and everyone in the park knowing they're running like Ricky twitching his fingers or Dave Roberts in that comeback win against the Yankees. Michael, amen. 
And you hit on something <laughs> here that I've been arguing for a long time with people like my good friend Brian Kenny of MLB Network. And the argument is this. Yes, we can measure a lot of things, and it's great. It's helped enhance our understanding of the sport. That's only a positive. This is strictly from a fan's perspective. But there are things that happen in the course of a game that cannot be measured, that have an impact that we just cannot quantify. The effect of a base stealer is one of them. And for all the reasons you mentioned, distracts the pitcher, changes the whole rhythm of the game, it just has this effect. Changes the way you pitch the next batter or the subsequent batters. So baseball is aware of that aspect of it. Now, there hasn't been much written about the effect because we don't really know the effect. But what has been written about is baseball's desire to bring back, if that's the right phrasing, the stolen base. And Jason Stark wrote, I believe a month ago or so, about moving the second base bag inward in the minor leagues during the second half of the 2022 season. This season, it's going to happen. They're going to move second base in a little bit, about 13 and a half inches closer to first and third, and they're going to make the bases bigger, going from 15 inches square to 18 inches square. The idea in both cases is to juice the stolen base. Maybe I shouldn't use the word juice with this sport, but you know what I'm saying. If you have a smaller distance between the bases, obviously you can steal a little bit easier. If the bases are bigger, those fingers sliding into second, they get there a little bit quicker. So I'm going to be interested to see how this all plays out, but I'm with you. The stolen base should come back, and it has an impact beyond simply the 75% threshold. This is where teams are now. If we can't get to 75%, then we're not doing it. That is is wrong-headed thinking with regard to baseball. It is not simply a math equation in regards to success rates. It's not even simply a math equation with regard to pop times and all of that. There's more to it. There are nuances that come with the stolen base, and they're significant. Sam says, hey, guys, love the show. I wanted to gauge your opinion on the new left field wall in Baltimore, a ballpark, Ken, that you're very familiar with. To me, I think they overdid it, and it looks like City Field when it first opened, and that didn't go so well. Great question. And I looked into this earlier when I was aware of your question. Now, the dimension changes at Camden Yards are interesting. If you remember, until this season, left field was a hiccup away from home plate. The wall was seven feet high. There was a lot of action, put it that way. They raised the wall from seven feet to 12 feet. They moved it back in left field about 30 feet. And it's created actually a nook and cranny in left center, different angles. It's interesting. Now, according to Park Factor, which is a statistic that measures the rate of stats at home versus the rate of stats on the road, Camden right now is something that it hasn't been very often in its history, which goes back to 1992. It's the worst home run park in the majors and the worst park for runs scored. Now, the Orioles might have something to do with that, of course, but it's a rate we're talking about. Rate of stats at home, both teams, versus rate of stats on the road. So, three weeks into the season, yeah, it looks like they may have gone too far, but I'm not willing to form a judgment on this just yet. We need a whole season's worth of data. We probably need multiple seasons worth of data. And you can understand what the Orioles were doing. They've got a younger team. They're trying to get back to prominence. And they don't want it to be unfair to their pitchers. They've got some 
big-time pitching prospects coming. We saw one of them this week. Grayson Rodriguez is another one. He's coming. So that's the idea, to make the park fairer. If they made it too fair, then they might have to adjust back. And I shouldn't say too fair. If they made it swing too far toward the pitching side, then they might have to make it go backwards. It's interesting. And City Field uh, changed quite a bit in those first few years there as they, they tried to adjust things. Yes. Uh, Larry said, yeah. Larry says, I was watching Sunday Night Baseball between the Phillies and the Brewers and was struck by how Angel Hernandez was one of the dominant, if not the dominant story of that game. It was talked about before he made a single call on the field. I don't think it is good for the game to have an umpire dominate a marquee matchup the way he did. I think Hernandez's work Sunday was objectively terrible, but is he really as consistently bad as he seemed to be from the Sunday night broadcast? How well does MLB do in ensuring the quality of umping and what kind of partner is the umpires union in that effort? What can be done short of automating umpiring to avoid situations like Sunday night or should situations like Sunday night just be accepted as part of the game? I I would add to this that if there was one good thing that came from that game, it was Schwarber's reaction was, was priceless. Ken, this question is asked on behalf of all Americans who are baseball fans. (laughs) Kyle Schwarber's reaction was pretty much welcomed by all Americans and North Americans who are baseball fans. It was just something that, you're right, we shouldn't see. And we should not see this kind of glaring, incompetence is a strong word, but it might be the right word here, on a relatively consistent basis. Now, I don't have the umpire ratings in front of me, I don't know, at least this year, where Angel ranks. But we do know that he hasn't called a World Series since 2005. He's not a crew chief. He's been around since 1991, but he's never ascended because, obviously, he's not perceived to be a very good umpire. Now, if you remember, he sued the majors in 2017, alleging racial discrimination for failing to promote him to crew chief and also for blocking him from getting World Series assignments. That suit, that lawsuit, has been thrown out twice in federal court. They're still appealing, so I guess there's a chance it gets back in there. But the bottom line is, Angel Hernandez is, I don't believe by any objective measure, a good umpire. Now, why is he still an umpire? Clearly, there is protection afforded by his union, which, if you're in a union, you understand the value of that. It's not a bad thing. In many ways, it can be perverted at times. But that's why he's still there. The one question I have, and I don't know exactly the particulars here, I probably should ask. Okay, if he is going to remain an umpire, why does he still have to be in the rotation to be a plate umpire? Why can't we have, especially in the postseason, not so much in the regular season, I get it, everybody has to rotate. It's a health question too. You can't have the same guy doing the plate four nights in a row. But in the postseason, the best plate umpires need to be doing that job. The guys who do the best work behind the plate should be behind the plate. I don't know why this is such a problem. And it doesn't have to be two guys for the entire postseason. We're talking the best guys. Give me the six or seven best plate guys and have them call those games. Not so complicated. I need to find out why that is not possible. I imagine it's the same issue. The union has a certain mandate or certain agreement in their CBA with the league on how this is going to work. Of course they do. That's how working conditions are set. Being a major league umpire feels like tenure for a college professor, right? Once you achieve it, it's it's tough to get removed. But that doesn't mean we can't make it better. 
Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Um, all right. Next question comes from Harry. More and more catchers seem to be using a one knee stance, apparently to better frame low pitches as strikes. It makes me wonder a few things. Does the stance hinder quick throws to second base? If when Major League Baseball goes to an electronic strike zone, will catchers revert to the traditional squat? Or does the one knee approach have other benefits such as saving wear and tear on a catcher's knees? Well, this is an interesting one. And a year ago or so, Baseball America did a study. And it wasn't, I don't know if you call it a completely scientifically verifiable study, but they studied one-knee catchers versus more conventional catchers versus those who use both. There are guys who kind of employ a hybrid. With runners on base, they might go one way. With runners not on base, maybe another. So what Baseball America found is that those catchers who go to one knee are not losing anything with regard to wild pitches and pass balls. Kind of similar rates. Same thing with stolen bases. In fact, the ones who were catching on one knee, those catchers, threw out a greater percentage of stolen base attempts than the others did than the more conventional catchers. So it's not harming them in that way. The real question is the second part of what you were getting at. What happens when we get what they call ABS, automatic ball strikes, the automated strike zone? At that point, you would think framing becomes kind of obsolete. Framing is something that has come to the fore in recent years as we've learned that catchers can have a dramatic impact on the amount of strikes called, the percentage of strikes called. To me, it's something that never should be a factor, but it is. And that's part of the human element of the game. But certainly once the automated system is introduced, uh, you're not going to fool the computer. So... That's going to be out, and that's going to be really interesting to see the change that might or might not occur with catching styles. Now, as you mentioned, the one-knee stance is something that is not simply for framing, though it's something that gives you a benefit with regard to framing. It is also more comfortable for many catchers. It is less stressful on the knees, and in some cases it offers more stability, depending on the guy. But some might feel more stable, which helps them with the glove, helps them with blocking, helps them with everything. So I would imagine that if we get to that point, and we're going to get to that point soon, I believe, with the automatic strike zone, then you'll have certain catchers still do it, even though the framing advantage will be completely eliminated. Uh, we're going to go back to voicemail for our final question. Hey, Ken. This is Mike Barnes from Clemson, South Carolina. Prior to the season and after all the back and forth with Major League Baseball and the Players Association. We heard that Commissioner Rob Manfred 
was going to head out to speak with teams and players and just wanted to know if we have any updates on that, how things are going, what's being talked about, and is this going to continue all season. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. Mike, thanks for asking that. And this is something actually that I wrote about in March because at that time Rob Manfred had visited, I don't know, maybe five or six teams. And I saw him one day when he was at the White Sox camp, talked to him about that, talked to some players around the league with help from a couple of our other writers about how these meetings had gone. And essentially, they're not all that much different from things he's done before, but he's taken a more conscientious approach for sure, and at least sitting down with players. And this is something that is necessary. One problem in this sport is that the decision makers, the suits as the players might call them, the people who are working in New York City in MLB offices are not necessarily in contact or in touch with the people actually playing the games, managing the games, serving as coaches. That's a problem. There's a disconnect. There's been a disconnect. It's no good. So Manfred has determined, understandably and wisely, that he needs to be out there more. He needs to meet with teams, and the plan is for him to meet with every team at some point this season. What are they talking about? One thing they've talked about is forming a greater partnership with the players. Now, this is something that would be quite helpful for the league, considering the way the CBA negotiations just went down. The players are a little bit wary of such talk because the word partnership in baseball often leads to the term salary cap, a revenue split between the parties, and that's something that the players don't want. So there's going to be that distance between the sides, that wariness, but at the same time, a lot more can be done to just improve relations, just to get on the same page or at least a similar page. I can't ask these parties to get on the same page. I'm, that's asking the impossible. <laughs> I would like them to see a blue sky as blue, both of them. Okay, I don't think that's too much to ask. So that's where this is going. That's the motivation. Ultimately, and the players made this clear to me, the ones I spoke with, actions speak louder than words. And if the league is serious about improving relations with its players, actions have to be taken or measures need to be taken along those lines. It's got to get better. I don't know that it can get much worse. So let's see what happens in the coming years. We've got five years of peace now, or at least relative peace. And it is incumbent on the league. And Manfred has said this. I'm not putting this out there and just saying he's got to do this. He has said he has to do this. He has said, he said it the night the CBA was signed. We've got to do better. I've got to do better with players. Five years to build a bridge, basically. That's what, that's what we're looking at. Uh, thanks for all the great questions. If you want to get involved next week, you can email us at tabaseballshow at gmail.com. The phone number is 646-543-7072. Stay with us all week on the feed here at the Athletic Baseball Show on Tuesday. It's Starkville with Jason Stark and Doug Glanville. The Roundtable is every Wednesday with Grant Brisby and Andy McCullough. Thursday's the 3-0 show with Derek Van Riperino, Saris, and Britt Giroli. And then DVR comes back on Friday with Keith Law. Great baseball talk all week. And if you want to join the Athletic, one of our best deals going on right now, $1 per month for six months for all the great writing we have going on. And it's not just baseball. We just finished up an incredible week of NFL draft coverage. You can check that out. Go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. Ken, where are you headed next weekend? I am headed to San Francisco. Actually, uh, two of the nice. next three weekends, San Francisco. We've got the Giants and Cardinals. 
Saturday, and that is Buster Posey Day in San Francisco. So that should be really special. They're going to honor him for his great career. He now, of course, is retired. Looking forward to that one. And I should say, Tim, as well, while you're talking about The Athletic, we've got some really good stuff coming this week. And I can tell you that there was one put out today. Andy McCulley and I combined on a story about Buck Walter that we had a lot of fun putting together, and we hope people have a lot of fun reading. And I've got another one coming tomorrow that I think people will like. I'm not going to tell you what it is, though. But it's $1 a month for six months, so you can find out for yourself. Uh, great, great deal right there. All right, good stuff, Ken. Uh, have a great week for you, and have a great week to everybody else out there. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.